and welcome to the Bodybuilding Dietitians podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today for what is now episode 66. And as always, you are joined by your hosts, Tiara and Jack. Now, today we do have another Q&A episode lined up for you, but before we get into that, we just wanted to remind you that if you do enjoy these podcast episodes, please feel free to tell your family and friends about them, take a screenshot, post it to your Instagram stories, tag the bodybuilding dietitians, tag Jack, tag myself. And if you are interested in getting in touch with us regarding any coaching services, you can always head over to our website called www.thebodybuildingdietitians.com. And you can also find that link down in the show notes below or in any of our Instagram bios. Now, without further ado, Jack, let's get into this. And uh, first question of the day, it's pretty much not just the talk of the town, but the talk of the world right now. Yeah, unsurprisingly, we've gotten quite a few questions on the coronavirus and what you can do in regards to training and nutrition. So let's just start off the episode with discussing that and yeah, let's kick it off. Fantastic. Well, You know, unfortunately, around the world, we are seeing that a lot of gyms are closing down, which is completely understandable, you know, because as this virus is spreading, we do need to limit human contact and we need to like limit the risk of this virus spreading from one person to another. And unfortunately, gyms, as as, like, even if they claim that they're clean, they're probably not the most hygienic place in the world, especially considering that everyone is touching everything, right? Like imagine how many people touch the same dumbbell or the same machine in one day. So if just one person happened to be infected with coronavirus at the gym, it is very unlikely that they are going to infect other people. Yeah, it is uh, definitely a tough situation. And in reality as well, if the gym shut for one to two weeks or even one to four weeks, it's in the long scheme of things it's not long at all so yeah i think that's a good thing to uh clarify at the very beginning like you're not going to lose all your gains so it's going to be okay yeah and i guess what can you guys do in terms of training and if you're restricted at home then you do have a couple options so i guess one thing to clarify is that it it depending on, it will depend on your level of experience in the gym. So if you're maybe like a, a veteran bodybuilder, a pro bodybuilder, and you're used to squatting 200 kilos and deadlifting 250, then no, the home workout is not going to be as good for you. Uh, you'll probably be at best trying to maintain muscle mass or trying to minimize loss of muscle mass. However, if I don't know, you're a newbie or if you're potentially a female, yes, females lift less weight. (laughs) What are you talking about, man? Pretty sure that we hip thrust the same weight. (laughs) Then you'll probably have a better chance at maintaining or even improving on your muscle mass. Good. So I guess it's survival of the weakest in this case. So chicks, we're keeping our gains. Guys, sorry, but you're going to get small during this period. But yeah, in reality, in what Tara just said, you will, I think it's more than likely you will be retaining what you have, not losing any. So yeah. And when we talk about Jack muscle retention, like what are the driving forces of actually retaining your muscle mass? So ultimately it will come down to nutrition does play a role in that. So if you, if you lose weight or if you're in an energy deficit, you will be, and you're providing yourself with less stimulus, then you're going to be at, at a higher risk of 
losing muscle mass. So you need to ensure that you're at least maintaining your body weight, ensuring you're getting adequate protein, of course, as well. And of course, there's the training stimulus as, as well, which is probably more important uh, than the nutrition. And the good thing is, is, is that it is very hard to gain muscle as a natural, but it's even harder to lose muscle. And even by providing yourself with, I'll let Tierra give reference to the volume landmarks, but I'm fairly sure they're almost half what you would need to, to gain muscle. Mm -hmm. So yeah, guys, the good news is that you actually don't need to do a significant amount of volume and a significant amount of work to actually maintain the amount of muscle mass that you currently have. And according to the volume landmarks, you actually only need to do around six sets per muscle group per week to actually maintain your current muscle mass. But the caveat there is that it's not just, you know, six sets of body weight squats. There still needs to be that intensity component. So you still need to be performing this exercise at a minimum of maybe four to five reps shy of failure. But the issue is in this case, you know, if some people are confined to their homes and they have limited equipment available and like Jack said, if you are a pro bodybuilder and you're used to lifting 200 kilograms on a squat and you don't have 200 kilograms in your house, you're really going to have to put a much larger emphasis on training volume in terms of doing more reps to actually get closer to that failure point. Because unfortunately, the intensity component and the total amount of weight that you're actually going to be able to lift will be outside of your control. Yeah, so in relation to the reps, like say if you're using a banded workout, then doing your standard four sets of eight reps isn't quite going to cut it. So you could even go up to 30, 40 reps mm -hmm. um, if required, depending on the band resistance you have, or even if you have dumbbells, all that sort of stuff, and your strength levels, of course. And there is no harm in also increasing your number of sets. So if you're like Tara did give reference to those six sets in order for maintenance, but that's when you're going to four reps in reserve, so, or less. And so like, there's no harm in going 20 sets per body part, because mm -hmm. uh, especially if you're doing banded work, then I don't know, this would be a discussion point, but potentially your fatigue is not gonna be as great as, as doing a conventional workout. Yeah, it, it will be difficult. So certainly in this case, don't be scared of going into those higher rep ranges. Yeah, upwards of 20, 30, maybe even 40 reps. But, you know, there are other ways that uh, you can make exercises more difficult. So I was actually, this just popped into my head, Jack. Perhaps like this is a case where BFR training could really, really come in handy for some people or a lot of people. Yeah, undoubtedly, it, it's a great method of retaining muscle mass. Yeah, certainly. And, you know, it certainly has been shown in the literature for people who undergo deloads, you know, or people who are recovering from an injury, that if they do BFR training, that they can actually maintain their muscle mass. And in some cases, some people actually continue to build muscle mass. So for people who don't know what BFR is, it stands for blood flow restriction training. And essentially it's when you wrap like a cuff or a strap or a band around the upper limb. So for example, if you were trying to train your quads, right, you would tie this band around the top of your thigh. And uh, essentially what BFR does is that it still allows for arterial blood flow, 
but it restricts venous return so that it allows for a buildup of blood and metabolites in the muscle. And the awesome thing about BFR is that you only need to use between 20 to 40% of your usual 1RM, whereas normal resistance training, we're usually using weights that are between 70 to 80% of our 1RM. Hence, if you are stuck at home, you know, and you're used to benching, let's say like 40 kilograms, right? In 40 kilogram dumbbells, but you only have 10 kilogram dumbbells available, haha, BFR might come in handy. So essentially what you want to do is you want to wrap this band or this cuff around the upper limb. It should be about a seven out of 10 tightness. It should feel pretty tight, but you don't want to feel any tingles and you certainly don't want to feel like you are completely like restricting any blood flow to that arm because Jesus, we don't want to amputate you. (laughs) But what you want to do is you want to, yes, uh, wrap this around your limb and then you want to perform your working set. So the first set should be about 30 reps and then the next three sets should be 15 reps each. And you should perform these with 30 seconds rest in between keep the band on the whole time. And then at the end of all of those sets, then you can remove the band. And uh, yeah, this might be a valuable method that you could try, you know, in order to uh, maintain your muscle mass and potentially even induce more muscle hypertrophy while you are doing your home workouts if you are stuck at home. Yeah, I do BFR about once a week and for arm training actually. And Definitely, yeah, the best pump I get probably all week. It's Mm -hmm. really good. Yeah, it looks good too. (laughs) All right, so guys, that's pretty much training, you know? So if you don't have very heavy weights available, you really just are going to have to do more sets, more reps, you know, get that volume up and uh, still ensure that you are going into a rep range that you're around four reps away from failure. But The basic principles still for muscle hypertrophy generally apply. So you still want to be hitting each muscle group at least twice per week. And if you are just aiming for maintenance levels, you know, doing around six sets per muscle group per week should help to maintain that. But there's no reason why you can't go above six sets, especially again, if you're trying to get that volume up. Yeah, I guess what the consensus is is that it's very unlikely you're going to lose any muscle. Even if you didn't train for two weeks, you're unlikely to lose muscle. So everyone kind of is stressing a lot it seems i think that stress is going to lead to muscle loss (laughs) probably more likely yeah than not training but yeah let's get onto the topic of food yeah absolutely so in terms of nutrition Depending on where you live in the world, I don't know, it might be more extreme than other places, but I certainly know that some people are uh, freaking out as if we are going into a zombie apocalypse. And a lot of the supermarket shelves, some of them are very empty. (laughs) You know, there are certain foods that are just like scarce right now. So like all of the cans, right? All of the pasta, all the flour, all the meat, people are just raiding the shelves right now. And, uh, It's pretty crazy and it's kind of funny because there's quite a few memes going around on social media how, you know, before coronavirus, everyone was scared of red meat and carbs and now there is no beef and no pasta on the shelves. So (laughs) what happens when you need to survive? What am I saying? (laughs) Fortunately, there's still some oats though at our supermarket. Oh, thank gosh. I need my whole grains. I swear the rest of you folks, you can have the processed grains, all right, processed carbs. Leave me with a few oats, please. 
In all seriousness, though, like if you are out of stock of your typical foods, then what can you do in regards to your nutrition? And that's where at the end of the day, you're going to have to substitute what you can find with what you would usually have. So to be honest, the meat shortage is probably going to impact people the most other than the toilet paper. And it is you're just going to have to find other protein alternatives. So, for example, potentially tinned proteins you can get tin tuna, tin salmon, even tin chicken. Uh, obviously, protein powder is a great option, which I don't think is in shortage at all. And potentially things like yogurt and cheese, those sorts of things as well. Because people are just buying uh, non-perishable. So things like perishable still are in stock, like the yogurt aspect. Yeah, then gosh, at our supermarket, they've like put a restriction on how many items you can buy of a certain food. It's crazy, guys. Like I never thought the world would get to a place where we're actually rationing out food, but you can only buy, you know, like one packet of pasta, one packet of meat kind of thing. But yogurt is unlimited. So I bought eight kilograms of yogurt (laughs) just because it was on sale. That's something I'd usually do. Yeah, it kind of does suck when your your typical diet is buying two to three packets of everything to yeah, eat like, enough. Don't you know I'm a bodybuilder, <laughs> dude? Like, I got to eat. <laughs> so, yeah, it really is about finding the alternatives for, for food. So, uh, I think protein really shouldn't be that difficult, to be honest. And you can even buy egg whites, like VPA sells egg whites. You can buy frozen egg whites. Uh, so, I think there is a solution in terms of carbohydrates like if you're someone who eats rice for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, then you're in trouble. So potentially things like oats, uh, the cereal aisle is still fully stocked at our supermarket. And even things like beans. Um, There's plenty of bread. Yeah, plenty of bread, beans, legumes, uh, some types of pastas as well, like pulse pastas. And you can still try and go to like maybe Asian supermarkets as well. They'll sell like the 10 kilo bags of rice. So I think there is always a solution. It's just going to take you out of your comfort zone. Yeah. And guys, don't forget about fruits and vegetables too. You know, like there's still plenty of fruits and vegetables on the shelves where we shop. I hope it is the same situation for you. But, uh, you know, especially if you live in an area where there are a lot of farms around, you know, and things are constantly brought in every single day, like we really need to emphasize that like the servicing system, you know, and the transport system for food that hasn't stopped. That's still going every single day. So there's no reason to really freak out and buy 20, you know, different packets of every single item that you'd usually have and just stock it up in your house. Like there's still food out there. It's, it's still all right. So yeah, uh, still plenty of fruits and vegetables. Highly recommend shopping at like discount fruit barns and stuff. Mm. Yeah, definitely the smaller area, smaller places like things other than Coles, Woolies, IGA and mm-hmm. Aldi, at least in Australia. So potentially like we have a discount fruit mart right next to us that sells a bunch of other things as well. Sam so, Kokios. Well, now everyone's going to go there. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's called Sam Mokos. <laughs> Try Googling that. <laughs> but yeah, some of those other maybe even family uh, run stores, which could probably do with extra business anyway. So Mm -hmm. yeah, there's, there is a way and yes. And even if we needed to be even larger advocates of people, you know, tracking their macros rather than following, you know, very strict meal plans, this is certainly the time because Jack and I, for various reasons, we aren't 
fans of, you know, following very, very strict meal plans. We're much more fans of having a lot of variety and diversity in your diet, you know, and being well-educated so that you can adjust and adapt to eating different types of foods during crazy times like this, right? So if you are following a super strict meal plan that says you must eat heart smart minced beef or you must eat chicken breast and you must have brown rice and you've gone to the stores and there are none of those foods, like this is the time to really consider, okay, you know, maybe I should invest in uh, really educating myself in terms of nutrition, tracking macros, being a bit more flexible because you are going to have to adjust and eat different foods, you know, that still meet your macro targets, but just through different sources. And for personally, I think that's only going to work out to be even better because you're just going to have more variety in your diet. But yeah, I pray for those on very, very strict meal plans right now, because unfortunately those meal plans, they can't be followed to a T. Yeah. I hope that we have encouraged you that there is a way around it and it's not really that difficult, just might require a bit of substitution and a bit of change on your part. And in regards to the training, I hope in Australia that you can continue training normally for as long as possible without uh, doing harm to anyone else and staying safe. And yeah, we'll, we'll all get through this. Yeah, absolutely. And I am just praying that it doesn't come to the point where Jack and I's gym is shut because, oh boy, I just feel like we have taken enough this past week, you know, with all of the season A bodybuilding shows being canceled, prep coming to an end before anyone even got to compete. So gosh, please don't take the gyms away from us too. So, uh, oh boys, but all right, moving on Tara to this. would be very bored. I would, dude, what would I do with my life? <laughs> the gym is my life. Uh, but anyway, so moving on to this next question, it says, is it worth buying expensive protein powders or is it all the same once your body processes it? This is such a good question. Yeah, and I guess it comes down to like, do we say the same thing for like chicken or beef or eggs? Like, oh, this egg isn't as good of quality protein as this one. Mm -hmm. And I mean, you could get into the details of it, of whether it's like uh, free range eggs versus cage eggs. But then again, I don't think that would really change the quality of the protein. It's still albumin in eggs. Exactly. Like when you think about the nutritional breakdown of these foods, it's all the same stuff and it really just comes down to more or, or the molecular breakdown it's still containing the amino acids that you require yeah exactly nutritionally it's all the same stuff so like you know it really comes down to marketing right so are you going to buy ronnie coleman's protein powder because he preaches that's the protein powder he consumed to you know become ronnie coleman and it's like a hundred dollars a kilogram or are you going to go online and buy some protein powder from VPA or bulk nutrients, which is like $25 a kilogram, but it just has, you know, some pretty plain packaging and it's just like, Hey, I'm WPC. <laughs> which one are you going to choose? But you know, a food scientist could take both of these protein powders in their lab and be like, aha, they're identical. <laughs> yeah. You could argue that like there is a separation between way concentrate way isolate but at the end of the day like again in the concentrate you're getting a little bit of extra carbs maybe a little bit of extra fat we're speaking about like one to two grams here yeah. <laughs> and then they upsell way isolate by like 10 to 20 10 to 20 dollars yeah so 
Bottom line is no, you don't need to be purchasing super expensive protein powders. You really just need to go with a reputable brand that is providing protein powder in a WPC or a WPI form, or if they are providing, you know, a vegan protein powder, ensure that it is a mixture of different plant-based proteins. So you've got pea and rice and soy protein all in there and it might be fortified with you know some extra amino acids so that it has a complete amino acid profile particularly make sure that it perhaps has some additional leucine added i know that vpa does that with their uh protein powder for vegans so yeah no you don't need to buy the super expensive stuff and I beg you, please don't buy your protein powder from somewhere like Woolworths or Kohl's, you know, because they're just going to upsell the shiz out of that. So, you know, go online would be my first recommendation. A website like VPA, right? Jack and I both have discount codes in the link below for 15% off all VPA products. But yeah, buy it online. It's so much cheaper. Or if you don't want to buy it online, go to a discount supplement store like Jack, you can uh, say for Lawrence. <laughs> yeah, there's a there's a bunch out there. One of our friends, Lawrence, works at PowerSups. So PowerSups, yep. So head over to PowerSups if you don't want to head over to VPA. <laughs> <laughs> so this next question is: Foods high in potassium for someone who is fructose intolerant. Now, this is a good question because, as we know, fructose is a disaccharide, and some people just can't tolerate high amounts of fructose in their gut and as a disaccharide that makes it one of the FODMAPs, right? So we do get a lot of potassium from fructose containing foods. So for example, lots of our fruits, right? Namely bananas, but also other things, you know, like apples and oranges and especially, dates. yeah, dates, dried fruit. Dried fruit is crazy high in not only potassium, but it's very high in fructose as well. So all of your dried fruit guys. So dates, apricots, you name it. So sultanas, sultanas, raisins, raisins. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so lots of fruits are very high in potassium. It's not just bananas. It's pretty much to be honest, guys, basically every single fruit and vegetable is going to have potassium in it. So just eat more fruit and veg if you want more potassium. But if you are fructose intolerant or fructose sensitive, you can't handle a lot of it then uh, yeah, I would steer clear of the super dried fruits and just some certain fruits. But without going through a list of every single fruit on the planet that has a lot of fructose in it, I'd recommend just looking up a table online. So literally just Google fructose and potassium content of different fruits and vegetables. And it's gonna give you an entire list, right? And Pretty much just choose the types of fruits and the types of vegetables that are low in fructose, but still have a decent amount of potassium. And the truth is when it comes to fruit, the majority of fruits are going to be very high in fructose, but there are certain fruits. So avocado, if you want to call avocado a fruit and uh, things like nectarines and also things like pineapple. So these actually, according to Google, they have pretty low levels of fructose, but pretty high amounts of potassium. But, you know, we can't forget about vegetables. Vegetables are really going to be your friend in this case. Yeah, most vegetables are naturally low in fructose. They're low in carbohydrates as well. And they're pretty much a vast proportion of them are high in potassium as well. Mm -hmm. So things like 
broccoli, pretty much all your leafy greens like spinach, lettuce, uh, kale, and in addition to that, asparagus, mushrooms, those are some of the high ones. So mm-hmm. it's pretty easy to get in potassium still and or a lot of your whole grains will have potassium as well. Yeah, even even dairy products have a little bit of potassium in them too. So potassium, it's all over the place. It's not just in high fructose fruits. Okay, so moving on to this next question. This one asks, if you have a severely overweight person, for example, 500 kilograms, how should they go about losing all this weight? Wow, so we've definitely never had a question like this before, and it's definitely a multifaceted answer as well. So it's not just diet, but also psychology and the exercise component and what they're not able to do. Because once you, I think 500 kilos is a bit unrealistic, but like once you get to that sort of weight, like we're speaking, speaking uh, we're talking about the people who like lay in bed all day and eat, like it really becomes a job in order to, to maintain your body weight then. And it's really at that stage, not just about the food. Uh, it's more about the psychology, I think as well. So even small changes in food is going to have quite a dramatic impact on their body weight. But you also have to consider that if they weigh like 350 kilos, then it's going to take a long, long time to lose all that weight. So even if they lose like, I don't know, five to 10 kilos a week, that's still a lot of weeks. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you got to think about what happens to their like bone mineral density if they're lying in bed all day and all those sorts of things as well. So yeah, so I guess, you know, your first point of attack certainly would be nutrition because if we are in an extreme circumstance like this where this person, they're immobile, right? They're just, they are laying in bed all day and they are surrounded by food. Uh, yeah, your best point of call is to change their diet. And geez, this the thing is, is that this person's metabolic rate would be through the roof, right? They would have to consume so many calories to maintain this body weight, right? So even just like a slight caloric reduction, which for 99% of the rest of the population would probably be a severe caloric surplus, right? This would probably have this person in quite a drastic caloric deficit. So nutrition's your best point of call. And uh, yeah, how would you go about changing their nutrition? Well, I would, I think it just comes down to Mm. potentially even eating what they're currently eating and then just like remove some of it Mm -hmm. so but and like to say this in a really bad way like if they're stuck in bed all day they can't really do anything about it (laughs) anyway because they usually have people feeding them yeah uh but yeah i honestly think that the psychology is probably more important in this case Mm -hmm. because yeah like restricting food is like kind of the easy part yeah yeah Yeah, i guess because I, I don't know, guys, I have you seen videos, Jack, of people like this, you know, yeah, and they're yes. like brought like 10 cheesecakes a day and stuff like that. Like, even if they were to just eat eight cheesecakes a day, like maybe that would put them into a deficit. I'm not really sure. But yeah, certainly that maybe have them eating the same amount of like the same types of foods to begin with, but just taking away a little bit mm. that could put them into a deficit. And then once they start to lose more weight, then you could really think about, you know, incorporating more nutritious types of foods. So more fruits, more vegetables, they can still have some of the same foods that they are eating as they slowly lose weight. And then 
hopefully you do get to the point where this person is mobile and they can actually stand out of bed. Like that would be a huge milestone for people like this. Yeah, it, it all depends really on the cycle, like the mental state of the individual and whether they do actually want to change. A lot of these people are forced into action due to otherwise they're going to die. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like a last resort. So, and yeah, you got to fa- figure it, like take into consideration the the health markers and like mm-hmm. what are they at risk of anything like again because they're in bed all the time if they stand up and start exercising they might be at risk of fractures and all that sort of stuff yeah exactly and you know people could say that oh this person should should have bariatric surgery or something like that right but actually to have these types of surgeries there's actually very specific protocols you have to go to and you actually have to meet a certain weight criteria in order to actually be eligible for bariatric surgery so i'm not sure the exact amount that you must weigh but like if you had someone who was 500 kilograms like they have to lose quite a few hundred kilograms before they would even be eligible to have bariatric surgery otherwise it's just way too dangerous it's way too dangerous and uh yeah they can't even get these people out of their house so they couldn't get them to a hospital there's no way that doctors are going to come to their home and set up an operating theater so Yeah, uh, bariatric surgery is probably way down the line. So nutrition first, try to get them mobile. And um, boy, yeah. And then, God, the goal would be to one day be able to start exercising. But again, even the smallest amount of movement for these people would still be burning a hell of a lot of energy. Like, can you imagine if they got down to 200 kilograms just standing up off of the bed? That's a 200 kilogram squat, dude. Like... That's a lot of weight that would take a lot of energy. So even just little things going for a little walk, like, oh, wow, it would, um, it would be a big achievement, but yeah, we're certainly not experts in this field where, um, yeah, not mainly work with athletes, hence the title of the podcast. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Not, uh, not, not this, um, this population, but you know, we would definitely give it our best crack, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So let's move on to another question. That was kind of interesting. So Jack, I'm excited to hear your answer to this because the question says, if you could only eat one food for the rest of your life, what would it be? So it would probably be maybe tuna. Tuna? Yeah. Dude, you hardly ever eat tuna. How is that one of your favorite? <laughs> That's not even one of your it's favorite foods. It's not about your favorite food though. But about- you just want pure protein, man, for the rest of your life. <laughs> well, if I'm still going to achieve my goals, then I need it to be protein. Because like if you choose carbohydrates or fat, then you won't be able to get um, protein, which is the major, the most vital factor for muscle growth. So I'd have to eat a lot of tuna per day to get yes, like a, you certainly a four would. to 5,000 calories. <laughs> And gluconeogenesis would cater for my blood glucose levels and glycogen. Yes. Uh, so, yeah. But what about what about fats and essential fatty acids? Well, tuna is a fatty fish, so you'd have polyunsaturated fats. Uh, I'd say salmon's are much higher in polyunsaturated fats than tuna. Well, I would and disagree can't... with that. <laughs> Nutritional panels don't disagree with that. <laughs> no, I'm not talking about tin tuna. I'm talking about like tuna steaks. Oh, Jack's going to go out to sea and catch his own tunas. <laughs> All right, that's reasonable. Will you eat the bones? I guess, yeah. Yeah, get some calcium in you, brah. <laughs> All right, so Jack's eating tuna, man. Uh, what, well, I think, t- well, I'm thinking about this nutritionally. I would probably eat full-fat yogurt. 
uh, because I think yogurt's freaking awesome. It's one yeah, of the so most nutritious. Yeah, so it's basically the same answer as me. Uh, the thing tuna and yogurt are kind of different, yo. <laughs> one comes from fish. One comes from a cow. <laughs> um, but no, I would eat yogurt because yeah, that's an HBV protein source. You've also got some carbs in there, and if it's full fat, you've got some fatty acids too. Some good what about amount of your calcium. You're right. It's not doesn't have polyunsaturated Sorry, fats. So I kind of win at this, don't I? <laughs> you win, man. You you're eating tuna for the rest of your life. You you win at life. <laughs> you obviously haven't had a good tuna steak. <laughs> yes, I have. My dad's cooked me amazing tuna steaks, but I'm also on a budget right now, so I generally eat the canned stuff. <laughs> okay, that's what we would eat, but that would be very unfortunate if we were stuck on these extremely restrictive I think diets. When people, when people think of this question, they think like, what is their favorite food? But if mm-hmm. they have like fitness goals, then they're kind of in trouble if they choose something that's not protein. Yeah, yeah that would be tough. Do you have like, a I was favorite only thinking food? like quinoa because that, mm. that's a complete protein. It's carbohydrates. It's a whole grain. What about so- like we could just eat tofu because that's got mm. protein. It's got... I, it doesn't have much omega-3s, but it's got a lot of omega-6. And then it's got a decent amount of fat. Well, the omega-6 is the fat, but a decent amount of carbs as well. And some fiber. So there's quite a few nutritionally balanced foods out there, believe it or not. But let's hope it doesn't come to that, guys. We don't just have to eat one thing for the rest of our lives. Because <laughs> Jack the Fisherman, right? <laughs> you can buy it, dude. <laughs> buy yourself a fish. Okay, uh, let's move on to another one. So this will be our last question for the day. And it says, what is the best exercise for building the glutes? So I think the answer is that there's no best exercise. Like one, the glutes are comprised of a few different muscles. Like you have the gluteus medius, which is one of the abductor muscle groups. And that'll be used during different types of exercises compared to something like the glute max. Mm -hmm. And... So I think it is a combination of things like there's, I guess people are always looking for that one exercise, but for example, doing like a physiotherapist would be better at explaining this, but doing an abduction type exercise would be better at working the glute med. And I've actually had to strengthen my left glute med because it was causing me hip pain. And something I did quite a lot for that was the Bulgarian split squats. And if you do that banded as well, that's going to um, help even more. Mm-hmm. Also, if you do use a band on like the leg press or hip thrusts, that'll activate the glute med more as well. And I think I'll always go with the hip thrust for a glute max exercise. Like, mm-hmm. sure, I, I do like heavy Bulgarians, uh, sorry, heavy Romanians, heavy squats, but yeah, nothing really for me compares to the hip thrust. Yeah, I um, I'd have to say that too. You know, I've said it before. I don't like to say that I'm married to anything, but if I was married to an exercise, it would be the barbell hip thrust. I just, I freaking love barbell hip thrusts. I respond really well to them in the uh, glute building department, and I do them like three times a week. But, you know, as Brett Contreras would say, you know, the glutes are the largest muscle group in the body, and you should use a range of different exercises in order to target the glutes in all areas. So. Your glute med is predominantly going to be used for abduction. So like Jack said, whether or not you want to put a band underneath your knees and do some hip thrust, some leg press, you want to use an abductor machine, you want to do some abductions on the cable machine, 
And then the gluteus maximus, that's predominantly going to be targeted during a squat, during an RDL, during a hip thrust, right? And then you also have the gluteus minimus, right? The, the tiniest little glute muscle, and that's going to be targeted during exercises like a side bridge or pretty much just any abduction exercise as well. But yeah, do a whole range of different glute exercises, you know, take them through a full range of motion, do different rep ranges, anywhere from like eight reps all the way up to 30 or 40 reps, you know, train your glutes in a whole bunch of ways and you'll have a really nice pair of glutes. Yeah, and it goes for any other muscle group as well. Do a variety of exercises that target that muscle group different ways and you're you're ready to go. Yeah, dude, you'll have the best bot on the planet. <laughs> okay, guys, so that's enough for uh, the Q&As for today. But as we always finish on, one thing that we learned this week. So, Jack, what did you learn this week? So did we learn the same thing? I think we actually did learn the same thing. <laughs> and yeah, it's, it's probably the most embarrassing one we've said so far. <laughs> but you know the term goat? Well, now I know the term goat. But... Yeah, so basically when it's been used previously, like, I don't know, a certain sporting player is the GOAT. Uh, we kind Jack, of... Jack and I literally thought people were calling each other GOATs. No, no, okay. <laughs> I wasn't that bad. I knew that it was stood for something, but I didn't know what. I literally thought they were just calling each other GOATs. Okay, and I just, well, I wasn't that bad. <laughs> I just took it. I was like, well, I guess, yeah, he's, he's, he's the GOAT, you know, like... <laughs> Goats are pretty cool, you know, they climb mountains and stuff, they're pretty tough, like, they can go quite a while without food and water, like, yeah, <laughs> if you're gonna be an animal, you might as well be a goat. I guess they're they're at the top, you know, They like that billy goat trail that we climbed in Hawaii, that was pretty steep, so goats are tough, they're resilient. <laughs> yeah, and it also stands for something as well. <laughs> Alright, so this is what we learned, Jack, what does goat stand for? Greatest of all time. The greatest of all time. So turns out these people aren't just calling each other goats. They're actually saying, this dude is the bomb. He's the best. He's a goat. <laughs> <laughs> Nay! What? Oh shit, that was not a goat. What sound does a, does a goat make? I don't it's know, not sorry. a it's not a it's not like a bah! No, I think that's right. That's a sheep. What what a, would a goat be with like with a G? Like a yeah. That, that was better. Have you ever heard a goat? <laughs> okay, Jack can't. You should see the look Jack's giving me right now. Anyway, <laughs> maybe this is a good place to wrap this up. All right, I guys. <laughs> okay, so thank you very much for tuning in. If you did enjoy it, please take a screenshot, post it to your Instagram stories, tag myself, tag Jack, tag the bodybuilding dietitians, and we'll catch you next week.